Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today I'm catching up with Cub member Hussein Sheath, the co-founder and CEO of Sheath, which is a family-run, brother-run actually, building company that does things differently. They don't look at the building industry like others do. They've taken a new approach, put a fresh light on it, and because of that have had huge growth. They're now a company of over 30 staff across the Eastern Seaboard. On top of that, Hussein and Sheath are the people building our new clubhouse in the Sydney CBD. So I can tell you firsthand, every word he said uh, is what he delivers in his work. We had a fantastic conversation. We spoke a lot about having a values run business and the importance of values and shared values in your business. And we spoke about mindset and how being grateful can trigger a landslide of positivity of good things to you in life. And it's a big lesson for all of us business owners. So I hope you enjoy the show. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Hussein Sheath. Of course, he's a member of our club, but the reason he's extra special is that he's building our new Sydney CBD clubhouse, which has become our uh, kind of HQ office. Uh, Hussein, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Dan. Uh, no pressure with the clubhouse, uh, but I appreciate the great introduction. Lots of pressure. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every so person I meet at club is like, oh my God, I'm so excited. I can't wait to see this place. And I'm like, no, no, like just relax. Let's wait till the furniture goes in. Uh, but I'm excited. I'll tell you what. Oh, I'm sure you are. because it, mm. So part of my Saturday ritual now mm. is going for a stroll into the city from Potts Point, walking to the clubhouse and seeing what's happened. And um, uh, your team is is literally always there, even on Saturdays when I'm there. Yeah, we pride ourselves on being the first pe- people there and the last people to leave. And that's been something that's been um, welcomed from our clients where we say, look, if you're looking for a builder that's going to spread his foreman over multiple projects, it's not us and you're not our client. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're after a builder that's going to be proactive about solving your problems, he's always there and and he'll get your job done on time every time then you're talking to the right person yeah. and, and – Well, you guys aren't going to want to leave when it's done because it's going to look that bloody good. So <laughs> yeah. gonna, uh, that be part of the reason why they're there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you might see them on a Sunday if you go down. <laughs> yeah, well, I really love these. It's just a Saturday, Saturday ritual and I take an apple and a banana on my walk and I eat them on the way there. Oh, that's healthy. I get there, I, I check up. I, I saw my office for the first time last yeah. week or at least the walls that were – that were. Like, yeah. I could see the shape of it, sat in it on the floor for the first time. So was, that's my first – private yeah. office. I'm pretty excited about that. You happy with it? Yeah, yeah, it's good. sick. I can't okay. wait. Good. Um, good. But but it's funny because mm. there is a lot of pressure. It's so funny because mm. any member, every time Cub wants to do something, every member wants to be the provider of that service. Yeah, because – or even non-members, is any business does because mm. they know that everybody's going to know – that's the people that Cub used and, of course, that's that, that's some good social proof. Yeah. So um, it, it always happens. Everyone's like, oh, no, no, oh, me, oh, I can do it with the best, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But then once they get it, which it's also happened, same as you guys, but also with the um, with Gail who's building our app uh, from Step Inside, um, once you have it, then it's like, oh, shit. Yeah, what did the I pressure's get on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I better not screw this up. Yeah, I better do a good job. Oh, you're right. And and look, and part of that was me actually, and wrongfully so, part of that was me saying, guys, this is too important that I'm managing this myself. And they said, saying you're not going to have time for it. And, and, you know, it took me a couple of weeks to realise that um, they were right. They're the guys that know what they do every day and they're going to deliver and I just needed to manage it from afar. But, yeah, the first couple of weeks you'd remember I was the one on the phone and dealing with everything going on and um, and that was the pressure. And, you know, but I thrive yeah. on pressure and I'm but glad that, that we made those decisions. And it transitioned well because, mm. I mean, I don't even call you for it um, mm. anymore. I speak to your brother. Correct. Business mostly, partner. Who's, brother, your, yeah. who's your business partner. We'll mention that mm. in the episode. And I also speak to Ahmed, mm. who's a champion. Yeah. He's a beautiful person. Ahmed's got his own little backstory with Sheath, but um, all of our guys are like, and I don't mean that just for this podcast, but I'd do anything for my guys. Mm. I think and, people. And uh, I mean, that's one thing that I, I knew from you even before 
uh, working with you on on the clubhouse, and and it's definitely going to be a central topic of this conversation: is leadership, team, culture, mm. purpose. Uh, these are all things that you're very strong in. But I do want to introduce uh, yourself and Sheath a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't mind starting with um, with you, and and just kind of what your what you know who you are, where you're from, what's your backstory. I mean. Wh- wh- were you born in um, um, Sydney or, mm. or where, where, where did you start? Um, Liverpool Hospital. So yeah. we grew up in, in the ghetto of Sydney uh, in, in Sadlia. Um, quick backstory there. Dad uh, came to Australia. He lived in Germany after his family fled the war and um, met my mother and they came and uh, came to Australia and they got to choose between living in Bondi or living in Sadlia. And they chose Sadlia because it's closer to her parents. Um, but so we ended up in Sadlia, and I was born in Liverpool Hospital. How funny! <laughs> you know, there's a lot of migrant stories that are like Bondi, because Bondi was really cheap back then. Bondi yeah. or um, somewhere else. I, I have a, I have a like one of my good friends whose mm. grandfather chose um, out west mm. somewhere because he wanted to grow grapes and Bondi was too much salt in the mm. in the soil at yeah. that time. <laughs> and, and that's the stories that Dad told me. He said, yeah. like, it was $30,000 for this house or 40000 for Bondi. Yeah. I wanted Bondi, but your mum wanted to live near her family. So. Exactly. Yeah. Even my family did that. So yeah. we never moved to the eastern suburbs. Yeah. We were always in the lower north shore mm. because that because my the east was too far from my mum's parents. Mm. So mum wouldn't let dad – we bought a house, dad bought a house in the east. He's like, no, no, I want to live in the east yeah. better. And mum's like, no, no, it's too far from my mum. I can't I can't drive to her house. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how that happens. And it becomes home and, you know, it takes a lot of work to remove that. But, um, yeah, I, I finally got out we, – we moved out of Liverpool in 98 and everyone thought dad was a millionaire because he built his house. It took him five years to build his house. It was a $30,000 house. Took him five years to build a double story. He'd work out of hours on weekends, and he ended up selling it for like one hundred and thirty thousand after five years. Um, and moved to Bexley, paid two hundred thousand dollars for an old weatherboard house in Bexley, and people thought like, "Yeah, your dad's got serious cash because he paid two hundred thousand dollars for a house." And dad struggled to shed that off him over the years because dad was a hard worker and you know always made things happen, and people were you know slightly envious of of his hard work and. And, um, and your dad was a builder? Yeah, dad started as a bricklayer and then quickly became a builder. And so you were on site with him or how did that impact your, your early life? Um, I, I loved every minute um, of spending time with dad on site and I spent weekends building with dad and I spent my school holidays building with dad um, to the extent that dad took on some government projects out towards uh, Walgett and Ningen which is like a 10-hour drive, and I would spend two of, two weeks of my school holidays up there building with him only to get to 3 p.m. where we'd pack up tools, we'd grab a fishing line, dig up our own worms and go down to the to, to the creek to catch some fish. So they were pretty special memories. Uh, most of my childhood memories are with Dad at work. How beautiful. And yeah. so growing up, did you – were you just like, well, I'm going to be a, a builder or I'm going to be in the construction industry? That was just kind of the thought? Far from that. Okay. Far from that, yeah. Um, being a typical um, Lebanese family, dad wanted his eldest and, and you know, there's six children. Dad wanted his eldest to be a lawyer or a doctor as they do and and he put a lot of pressure on me and I had put a lot of pressure on myself. And so I got through school and... You know, I, I got good grades and I got into law and I got into accounting and I thought, great, like finally I've, I've done it. I've, I've achieved the goal for dad and I've achieved the goal for me and I was studying law and accounting and this is a pretty special moment in my life. And then all the freedom came with that. And I was 18 and I'd never had freedom because, um, you know, it was, a, it was a tough family life that, you know, we lived and it was strict and I appreciate all of it now. Um, what do you mean by tough? Your parents were strict on you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I needed to. I needed to study when I needed to study. I needed to help dad when I needed to help dad. Um, Good oh, traditional yeah. Lebanese Absolutely. parents. Absolutely, oh, getting like, to college <laughs> to another extent. Like I remember these times, and and I appreciate, and I use this example all the time. I'd work with dad six, six days a week. I'd earn seven hundred dollars, and at the end of the week, he'd give me two hundred dollars, and I'd say 
dad, where's the other 500? And he'd go, why do you need the other 500? And I go, because I earned it. And he goes, mate, like unless you come up with a reasonable explanation why you need the other 500, I'm going to save it for you. And then two years later he ended up buying me this gorgeous Audi convertible and I thought like, thank you so much for doing that for me. You taught me hard work, you taught me how to budget and you taught me what I could get with a bit of saving. So that was a good lesson. So he actually used the money that he saved for you from your earnings to then buy you a car. Yeah. And he topped it up but it was pretty special. Yeah. Yeah. And that's also a great lesson because Mm. it's like, look, if you don't blow all your money, Mm. you can have nice things. Yeah, exactly, precisely. And, And you don't have to splurge to live a good life and we lived a good life. And, you know, whether it was 200 or 700, I would have blown it and he knew that. So what a great lesson to learn at a young age, yeah. And so you're in uh, uni Mm. um, doing accounting or law, I can't remember which one. Both, yeah, double degree. Can you do accounting and law? Mm. I didn't know that. I I didn't get far enough to uni to figure out that you could do that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's right. I didn't last long there, so. Oh, so you dropped out. Yeah, so after two years of me enjoying freedom, um, I found myself going to uni less and less and enjoying um, my life outside um, and eventually I just blamed the fact that I couldn't stand accounting, which doesn't change much today because I can't stand the accounting side of my business. Um, I loved the law. I didn't admit that but I did love the law um, and and I found myself dropping out and pretending to my family that I was still at uni but I had a full-time job as a courier. Yeah. And they thought you were going to university? Yeah, look, my parents did something that I think was very clever but I question it now. My parents always – played a bit of oblivious to some of the stuff I was doing. And for me, it was really tough because I never wanted to let them down. So I would do everything in my power to make sure they didn't know about it. And, you know, that meant like if I wanted to go out at night, they didn't know about it because they thought I was sleeping in bed. And it, it kept me it kept me at home. It kept me cleaning up behind myself and it, and it kept me always thinking that, they think highly of me. So in my mind, someday I needed to come back to that face it and sort it out. And yeah, <laughs> Maybe, but thing, also right? it's probably a good problem-solving practice for future. It's like, okay, well, I'm supposed to be asleep in bed. Hmm. How do I leave but make it look like I'm still asleep in bed? How do I get in? How do I get out? Like really, you know. It's, Very strategic. Yeah, strategic. Yeah. You're already problem-solving. Like, how do I solve this problem? I want to go out yeah. but I not, can't go out. How do I get out? Like that's. Yeah, teenage problem solving 101. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I've always thought, why do I always think so much? I mean, my wife makes fun of me and and um, a good friend Mark actually said the other day, I'd hate to be in your head because I think of everything and every scenario that could possibly happen out of everything that I do in life. And I mean like getting up to get a glass of water or, you know, how am I going to pitch to this client or what I'm going to do in that meeting. And I calculate every result and work out which result suits me best and and I go about it that way. Mm. And it could have stemmed from Teenage 101. Yeah, I'm going to put barriers class. in front of yeah, everything like my that. kid ever wants to do, barrier, you know, yeah. figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, and, and and maybe that's made me the person I am today. I never, I never narrowed it down to that, but it could be. Awesome. See, we just turned a negative into a positive. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm going to train my kids to do that. <laughs> um, yeah, be smart enough to to trick me. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> don't tell me you're tricking me. Yeah. That's how good you have to get. And so you dropped out of uni and, and I guess yeah. how did it get to the point where you started your company? Why did yeah. you start the company? Um, I never wanted to – I never thought of starting a company, or at least not for a very long time. Um, and I had a few pretty big moments in my life that led me down this. So – Try to quickly go through those and, and we can touch on those yeah. a bit later. Um, Are these key things that yeah. cause you? Okay, yeah, yeah. please share. Um, so the key things were obviously this huge um, expectation from my parents. That was first and foremost, um, being the eldest um, and, and, and seeing the status dad had and the reputation dad had and that was a good status and reputation. It was loved by all and respected by everyone. Um, and that was hard to live up to. And I always said that growing up, if I could be half the man he is, I'm a happy person. Um, so that was huge. Um, so that was problem one, uh, obstacle one. <laughs> problem one, <laughs> big dad. Yeah, pretty much. Try to live up to that. Um, number two was I found myself in a bit of a slum, uh, downtime in my life uh, where I felt like I hit rock bottom where I left uni. I was this courier driver for the better part of 12 months and things weren't working out for me. And 
And one day I remember saying like, that is it. Like whatever is going on in my life right now and I won't get into detail, that I'm going cold turkey, that's it. I'm picking myself up tomorrow. And, and I did. And so the next day I enrolled into uh, TAFE and I did uh, structural engineering um, and I got into it. I didn't know why I was doing structural engineering. I thought it was close to construction. Um, and structural engineering diploma went well and I was good at it and, um, and I found myself surrounding myself around some people that were good as well and I liked being around that. And then number two, I started working with dad again and that was really good to work hard, um, you know, sweat it out with dad on the building side and, and he was a tough person. No one lasted three days with dad on site. Like that was the rule. And um, so dad was tough to work with and, and that was a great learning lesson. And so that was working out for me. And then I finished my diploma and I could get into uni and there was a lot of crafty moments along the whole TAFE diploma situation where um, I managed to get uh, an approval to get my builder's licence through that process um, and then also uh, take off a lot of units in, in university. But I'll skip through that. Essentially I got into uni and things were working out for me and I thought if the universe is giving all this good stuff to me, like – I need to keep up with giving back to the universe because I don't want this to fall over. This is pretty special. Whoever's looking out for me is 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 doing it for some reason that I don't see right now. So I'm not going to abuse this. Like I'm going to give back. So I started studying hard. I'd lock myself away every weekend, every every day, and, and I'd study and I'd finish my uni. And um and I think I was like distinction average in construction at uni. And um meanwhile I was working hard, dad, and and there was a couple of guys at uni with you know holding their noses up high and, you know, they worked for big building firms and one day I said, that's it, like I want to work for a big building firm and and I started writing this awesome resume and I think it was a great resume and um, and I sent it out to a whole bunch of directors and I met and I met with one person, it was my first interview and and that person was Mark Denoyer at Next. And, and, um, and just for the listeners yeah. and, and members who don't know Mark, Mark Denoyer is a member of Cub. Yes, he is. He introduced me to Cub. Um, and Mark Denoyer interviewed me when I was a cadet and I didn't know much, but I knew that I would give it everything I got. And, and that's what happened in the interview. He said, you realise, and Mark will laugh about this, he said, you realise I'm going to throw you out to the lions as a piece of meat and you're going to have to like deal with that. And he tells me now it's because I was too confident and he wanted to see how I'd get through in that interview. And I told him, mate, whatever it took, I'd sort it out. Like if I didn't know, you, I can guarantee you by the end of the day it's going to be done. And um, and he said, no worries. If you got the job, you're going to have to start on Monday. And and I said, I'm sure dad would be fine with that. And I got on the train and it wasn't, you know, it was, it was town hall. By the time I got to the next train station, he had called me and I'd got the job as a cadet. And that was a game changer for me. That was a huge critical moment in my life. Um, it was your first kind of big construction job away from uh, your family. Father. Yeah, yeah exactly. Family. Spot on. And this was this was the day to prove myself. Like, you know, maybe dad had been babysitting me. Maybe people thought I was just living up in his footsteps. Now it was my time. And fast forward five years at Next, I went from cadet to – uh, and the company was no more than six or seven employees. Um, I went from cadet to CA, project engineer, project manager, senior project manager and construction manager with like huge stakes in the company. And and I was 27. I was the youngest construction manager I knew. How many um, people were in the company? At that time, five years later, there would have been 90 people, 80 yep. to 90 people. Like it was a huge growth. And I was probably the most fortunate person in the company because um, I got to see it grow from six people to – 80, 90 employees and because every day I backed myself to be better than the next person, then I was always trying to keep up with the directors. Actually, this is interesting. I never, ever, ever competed with people on my level like being CAs or cadets or project managers. I always, always competed with the directors and I don't know why I did that but I just thought if they're the top dogs, I'm going to be better than them and – and I did it with no ego. I learned to lose my ego. So I got zero ego in this business and I thought Mark does it this way, Joseph does it that way, Dane does it that way. These are some of the negatives that I've seen. I'm going to cut the negatives out and I'm going to take all their positive attributes and I'm going to turn it into me. Um, so five years on, uh, I'm the construction manager and there's a lot going good for me at Next and people said I was crazy for even contemplating leaving. 
and and this was another huge turning moment in my life, another massive milestone. I started seeing my accountant to see what my future would hold at next. And one day he said something. He said, if you're that valuable to that company, mate, why don't you leave? Like why don't you do it yourself? And I said to him, don't plant that seed in my head because that's the worst thing you can do to me. I'm in a good place. They look after me and they did. Like Next was great to me. The guys were great to me. We went on holidays all the time. I was paid very well um, and I was young. That day he planted that seed and all of a sudden I felt like my world was closing in on me because that was the decision that needed to be made. And what made it worse was this accountant was part of this firm that him and his two brothers created. So this was an accounting and law firm. It was a family business. It was a family business and they did it better than anyone. Like this was top-notch law firm. It looked stunning. It was beautiful. They had a great reputation in the community. They got to live the values they believed in, not someone else's values, and that was huge for me. Like they're able to do what they're doing at this level whilst keeping their values in place. That's pretty special. That's what I want. And it wasn't a month after that where I told the guys that I needed to leave and do it for myself. Wow. Yeah, Yeah. you know what? Something's very prevalent with you, especially when you speak. It's your value of reputation towards the community. Mm. Yeah, and I think – that uh, you, you you say – you mentioned to me previously and correct my words because I'll, I'll get them slightly wrong, but in past conversations yeah. you've mentioned to me that you want to change the view on construction Absolutely. and building and, and make, for example, an office fit out or whatever you're building, make it a fun experience and a happy experience for the client rather than uh, what can often something, sometimes happen. And, and, again, that relates to be, creating a great reputation mm. for yourself. You're right. Look, I, I I never took it that far back or sometimes I did but I didn't dwell on it but you're right. Like people would wait two or three years for dad to build their house and maybe it was because dad was cheaper than other builders but I believe it was because he did a damn good job of building their house and people wanted to invest their money with someone they trusted. And I started linking trust to and, and uh, you know, these are through my studies and meeting people. You You, you trust people you like. You don't trust people you don't like. So then it's linked to liking someone. And why do you like someone? It's because… Common values. Common values, spot on. And there's a sense of enjoyment or a sense of purpose uh, and and fulfilment when you work with that person because you like them and you share the same values. So when I linked all that together, I thought what I want to do is I want to be able to remove this this exhausting, um, you know, grey cloud over the construction industry where people, you know, are worried about the builder they're engaging and they're worried that the builder's going to be out to charge them variations and late in conditions and not not really having the client's best um, uh, needs at, at their forefront, at the right, at the centre. <laughs> so the building industry as an industry is needs to become more customer-centric such as other industries, like a lot of technology is, is becoming more cust- – you know, the, the product is built just purely with the customer's use, usability and satisfaction at heart. 100%. And, and the, the worst part about it and the best part for me is it's not difficult. It's actually, it's actually easier to be good to people than to not be. And something that was important to me was uh, as an employee, I hated the times that I had to do things that I wasn't completely in agreement with, with my values, et cetera. And I thought I don't want that for anyone. So if I'm not comfortable with that client, I'm not doing business with that client because whilst I might do the sale today, my team's going to be working with them for 12 months and I'm not putting my employees through that. And all of a sudden I created this environment where employees are working with customers that share the same values. So my employees were more productive because they were working with happier people. They felt a sense of fulfillment and purpose um, and they were adding value to someone else's life and this customer was saying guys like I need to tell all my friends about you guys because you 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 did what you said you're going to do we don't even go over and above some people say we go over and above in their testimonial I don't I don't really believe that I think they're just getting what they they asked for and their expectations was a builder was going to give them less all we do is we give the client exactly what they asked for we don't give them a hard time. We do what you've engaged us to do as, as a professional and that's to build your project and and it's become fun for us. It's become an enjoyment and you're right, like 
the the sense of reputation is everything for me. It's a long game, um, and why would I dwell on losing a thousand dollars here or upsetting a client there when that client can? It takes fifty phone calls to get a client. It only takes one client to get another client. So why wouldn't I please that client to get the next client to get the next client? And and if that type of client shares my values, it's likely that his friends are going to share the same values. You said a few things interesting. I've noted them all. But something you just mentioned then is mm. that you in your head don't even believe you're going above and beyond. But by delivering what you should be delivering, what you think you should be delivering, mm. you're actually overcoming the relatively low industry expectations people have. So people have low in expectations for the industry. And so if you provide a beautiful, you know, you deliver what you're supposed to on, on budget and you provide a, a professional service with beautiful people who who who, um, who who like, love what they do and they they, they like you being nice mm. to the client, then the client's just like, wow, this is, you know, this is way better than what I was expecting. Mm. And, and you didn't even have to provide. Exactly uh, right. Yeah. I'm sure you do provide over and above. I'm sure just in your head, it's what you think you should provide. So yeah. that that's also could be playing a factor. But one thing I wanted to ask was, you mentioned you went through a dark spot mm. um, in your um, uh, life. Your life. I was going to say in your youth. How old are you now? <laughs> uh, Thirty-two. Okay, you're still super young. Um, so you went through a dark spot in your youth, but then you actually said that you, whatever, you hit the bottom. Mm. You, you made a bit of a change. You took action mm. and you did TAFE or whatever. But then you said that you started working with your dad, things started going well for you. So yeah. you started noticing things are going well. And you then said you wanted to give back to the universe. And I want yeah. to talk about that because that's something I always – it's a new feeling for me mm. in the past two years, but maybe even less. But but I'm sure a lot of people feel it. And it's got a lot to do with your mind frame. Like if, if, you're, if you're – and I think the word's gratitude. Mm. You know, if you're grateful and you're looking at the things around you as positives mm. – you know, all of a sudden you're you're grateful to the world for giving you these things, and then you almost feel this uncomfortable need to give back. You know, it's like, and and I never understood that growing up ever. I was like, give it, give, give me, give me, give me. You know, I should have more. Mm. But only when when um, I really started producing, I was starting to feel grateful to the world. It was self-produced, and it was, you know, the, yeah. things are going your way. You you almost feel this. Uh, it needs to be even, kind of like if yeah. someone gives you a, a gift, you're going to give them a gift back, you know, of yeah. equal value. You know, like you feel it's awkward. A good example, yeah, yeah, it's a simple example, but it's yeah. a great example. And and so you start going out of your way to to be a better person, to do even better, and and that triggers. And then because you're being a better person, you and and giving back to the world, the world then gives you back again, and it becomes this increasing cycle of you yeah. give the world more, the world gives you more, <laughs> you know. And it, spot on. and it all stems from just being grateful mm. for the positive things that you have. And, of course, before that, taking action towards triggering those – you yeah. know, taking action to trigger those positive yeah. uh, positive changes. Where's the question? I don't know, but that was just <laughs> – I, I felt yeah. jealous. You spoke for too long. Yeah. I was no, it was good. It no good. but is that – would you say that is what you experienced, um, that, that gratitude gave you that – I couldn't have said it better. I mean, what you said, and obviously you're going through it too, was almost this overwhelming feeling like this is more than I could have asked for. For some reason, the universe is giving me all these opportunities, opportunities and 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 teachings. And if I don't start giving back right now, like I've got a risk of losing it all. Yes, so the fear of losing if you don't give back. I, I, like I, I I owe it to someone. So please, you know, whoever needs help, I'm here. And and. That's something about me. Like anyone asks for help, doesn't matter who it is. Like I, I put my hand out to help in any way I can, and that's probably out of fear of I don't want to do wrong by anyone. And and I teach all my employees this, and they know that, and and they've you know had successful careers so far because of that. Which is um, always look at a glass half full. Don't look at a glass half empty. Um, always understand that if a client or a subcontractor or whoever it is is going through a rough day, that it could just be a rough day. Like people go through rough days. Um, always, always try to put yourself in someone else's shoes um, and and just be grateful for the opportunity you have today. And um, and I've learned to appreciate what people do. I, I've learned to appreciate what my employees do. And my See, staff that's do. the mind frame. But it's just amazing to the fact that it's so 
built into human mm. beings' DNA that it must have something to do with survival. You know, if someone does something nice for me, I have to do something nice back. And even in sales books, like I remember being a teenager and reading business books and sales books and, you know, the law of reciprocity and, and, you know, all that type of stuff. If you do this for a client, they'll feel like they need to give you something back. And mm. it's just so inbuilt yeah, right. into human beings that even when another human technically doesn't give you, you know, something directly, but the world starts giving you good things, you suddenly start wanting to give good things back to the world. You know, yeah. it's not even to a person. And, yeah. and that's just a really interesting uh, idea and something to be aware of in business. You can, you can really – you, you can use that. And I can even see that in members, like mm. in the club, the members that are you know, doing really well and, and they're, they're happy, they're grateful for the world. They're the ones that give back to the, the other members. And then because they give back to the other members, all of a sudden they get the most value from the club. Mm. Mm. And the ones, uh, uh, who, if someone is in the club and they don't have that mentality, they're there to try to, oh, I want to make a sale or whatever. Mind you, if you're there for that, just leave the club now because you shouldn't be there. It's not what we're about. We're not a marketing or sales platform we're a relationship building, relationship building platform but i'm trying to use it as an example um if someone's there and they're trying to take then the club doesn't give them anything yeah and you know they and it's just that that's how human beings work you know it, i see it all the time it's funny you mentioned that and and talking about the club um it's actually exactly that i remember being told that at the start and i thought that's perfect because part of my sales and how it's always worked for me is I don't sell. Like I get to know the person. I want to know them because I genuinely care. And the sales just come. And and I joined Cub because they had the same ethos. Um, Relationships and, first. That's right. And look, you know, I've been at Cub for a year now, and um, and I'll come into a group, and and you know, sometimes by accident, someone will slip and say, you know, they actually really need some leads, and that's why they're there. And 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 it's very quick that people don't necessarily share with that person, but. It's funny because I've never pitched to try to sell. At least I don't think I have. And and fortunately, I've I've been doing the cub house for Dan and and Cub, and I've done some other work with some other clients from Cub group, from Cub. Yeah. Um. And it's almost like, ah, oh, you're a Cub member. Oh, great. Well, I'm so glad that we're working together. By the way, I'm also going to introduce you to these ten people. So it's really cool. That's been so it's actually worked for you through like, Cub. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But see, the person that got there and was like. Uh, goes through all the – because obviously we put so many barriers in place. It, kind of like what you're saying in terms of you want to work with someone that's a cultural fit to yourself, mm. that, the same mentality. Cub, it's that on steroids because we're trying to we're trying to make sure everybody is a cultural fit so that they, they work together yeah. to, to help each other. And and yeah, sometimes you know, you'll get one or two in that first year that they get through the barriers mm. of, you know, they – they explain the purpose of the club. That's how it's told. That's, you know, the induction process was said. And they get to the group and then they might go to, to one of their core groups mm. or whatever. And they might go, uh, all right, guys, yeah, like uh, I'm looking for leads or whatever they say. And I can guarantee that you, that person, mm. A, we won't, we, don't, we actually don't invite them back. And we've mm. actually started refunding. So if there's someone comes in and they are clear, not cultural fit, they're not there for the right reason we literally just send them the money back and say, don't worry about it, see you later. You, yeah. This is not the community for you. But we didn't do that at the start. But it's so important because they're not only going to detract from the others, but they're not going to get value anyway. They may as well not have paid you because no one's going to want to, to, absolutely to, to spot work on. with them. You're spot on and and um, I'm glad to hear that from you, but um, you're spot on. They don't get anything back and they don't get value and I'm glad to hear that, you know, they're, they're being refunded and, and sent on their way. Um and it's funny that because it's not all it's not all for me it's not all the great things that happen to me that that have come of cub but i've met some people with good values like you've said they share the same values and we recently wanted to get our website fixed and we wanted to do a whole bunch of things and we had gone out to other people outside of cub and then all of a sudden i brought it up as an issue in our core group and um, the core said, you got to talk to Bernard. And I had known Bernard through Cub. Yeah, Bernard does our HubSpot as well. There you go, right? Yeah. And then I introduced Bernard to my marketing team and I said, guys, I trust Bernard. He can't screw me over because I'm in Cub. Yeah. I trust Bernard, right? <laughs> That's and the power of the club. Yeah, yeah. yeah look, they have is. to do they good have, they, We don't have a choice, <laughs> yeah. right? We, the pressure. Yeah. Um, and, and the ladies fell in love with um, what Bernard had to offer and now he's doing all of our work. Yeah, so, oh, great. Yeah, so it's it's not just a one-way street. It's not like you're going to join Cub and you're going to get all this work coming yeah. to you. You're going to give a bit back. But there is that sense of 
But are you sharing it with the same value? Yeah, people? and cover side, obviously yeah. using cover as an example, the, the lesson though or the, the theory is that by doing good towards others, then 90% of the time others will do good back towards you. Yeah. It, it will relate. You have that 10% of scumbags in the world. That's always going to be there that, you, you know, you come across and you can't let them deter you from still mm. doing good. you just got to be all right with it. And yeah. I think the lesson learned there is don't expect anything back. And when My I've learned to not to expect anything back, it's it's come through even better ways. It's like that's right, that person didn't give me anything, but someone on the website saw my work and they are a bigger fish. And and that's worked for me. Like give without expectations and my, my, old, limit. my old man used to say, When you when someone asks to borrow money, mm. you, you're not lending them the money. You're just giving it to them. <laughs> <laughs> if they give it back, great. They, yeah, yeah. But, but don't expect them to. <laughs> just if, if you're gonna give it. Expect yeah. it to be giving because otherwise that relationship's going to be yeah. gone. It's such a good yeah. lesson. Yeah, he's right. It's the same what you just. Yeah. It's what you just said. Yeah. No expectations, but mm. when it comes back, amazing. And mm. and the win, if like you do something nice for someone and they they turn out to be a scumbag, mm. the win is great. Now I know you're a scumbag, and I can remove you from my life and circle. Mm. And uh, I've actually cleaned out my circle. My, mm. my people around me are even better now. Mm. And and like on top of that, I don't have any regrets. Like I did what I thought my values were telling me to do and I live by my values and that's the strength of values because you can't do wrong when you're doing it in accordance with your values. And if you know what, you lose your money on that, that's all right. Your values told you to do the right thing there. Or you don't hire that person, that's all right. It's because the um, – you know, that, that person wasn't aligned with your values. Or you say no to a client, it's because he wasn't a fit for you. And, you know, it might not make you a lot of money, it might not bring everything you wanted, but you internally feel like you did the right thing yeah. and that's what you need. Yeah, you feel good about yourself. Mm. And let's just get back to Sheath because we actually haven't spoken much about the company, but Sheath is the company after obviously wanting to fill your father's shoes mm -hmm. and experiencing this uh, law and accounting firm that was a family run business and, mm -hmm. and leaving, you know, succeeding in um, Mark Denoy's old company and then, Next and then year. leaving. And um, you started a company yourself called, it's called Sheath. Um, you started with your brother mm -hmm. and, um, and you guys now have 30 employees and you do uh, work across what is it? Victoria, Queensland, New South Wales. Yep. ACT. ACT. Yeah, and, and, so why don't you give, I guess, a brief introduction to, to Sheath as yeah. a company? Um, I used to say it's a small-sized business firm. I don't know what it's called anymore. It's a medium it might be a medium-sized yeah. business firm. The actual um, clarification yeah. is if it's above $2 million in revenue, which of course you are, yeah. it's considered medium. So I think okay. the actual two small to medium brackets are 20 employees mm -hmm. or – Two million in revenue. Okay. So once you cross one of those two yeah. or both, you're considered medium. Great. Okay. Good. So I can start calling it medium. medium. Um, <laughs> so we're a medium-sized building firm. Um, we started four and a half years ago. We're six months away from our five-year goal, um, and and we started that company with a really interesting story. Basically, Muhammad and I said we've got to get out. We're going to get out in six months, and then we got this opportunity. And Dad said, "There's a guy that wants you to build a duplex, but you need to move now." And it was all too good to say no to. Again, maybe the universe giving us that opportunity at that moment. And we said if we win this duplex and we, we're able to build it, it will pay our salaries, just one job. Um, so we took the risk and, and, and we started the job. Um, our first year we did 33 projects, which is huge for a builder. Uh, we grew the team in our first year to six people. Um, and then in our second year, um, we did 55 projects, which was absolutely exhausting but worth every minute of it, and we grew the team to 10 people. Um, and at that point we engaged a business coach. Um, we can touch on that whenever you want. We will. And, um, and then we started developing this system or structure that we needed to have our values in line. We had needed to have our vision in line. We needed to have a, a purpose, a clear purpose for our staff. And if we had those strong foundations and a, and a great organisation board, then – the sky's the limit. And that's where I say I was very fortunate to see all that at my previous firm at Next because they had that and they grew a company in five years from six people to 80 people. And there was this picture-perfect moment in my career at Next and that was when the company was 30 people and we were turning over $20-odd million and it was just good times. Everyone had each other's back. Everyone enjoyed the wins. Everyone, you know, fought through the losses and people were doing it for greater than just the salary. And I said – that's our five-year picture. Like that's the company I want. 
Um, and so that became our five-year goal. And then we broke up the KPIs, et cetera, and, and we found ourselves every year hitting these huge goals that we never thought we would because we had it set in stone. Like that is the vision. That is how we're going to get there. Um, so to answer your question, Sheath is a building firm. We build um, across multiple sectors. We, we build residential, commercial, hospitality, aged care, industrial projects. Um, our niche is projects between 200,000 and 5 million and we're really great in that pocket. It's essentially this, this pocket where the big guys are too big um, and essentially give you their B or C team if they're doing the, your project but we're much safer than the cowboy that is trying to do your half-million-dollar job and doesn't really know what he's doing there. So we provide a service that is giving what all the great big builders can provide on a good day um, but at a much uh, lower value with, with more direct Yeah, report. I think you're, yeah. Giving, you're giving the reputable and trusted brand mm. in the smaller sector of the market which does not have that. Doesn't it's have typically it. just your, your builders and your – you know, it's just – your trades and your it's it's a bit of mayhem. Yeah. You've brought the you know oh Mervax built my apartment building that, that or Lindley's that's a, that's a that's going to be a safe or Meriton built my yeah. my unit block I, that's a safe place to buy. Yeah. You you're bringing that trust and reputation to that smaller to to the smaller sector of the market. And and that's the great thing about it. Like people think it's the smaller sector of the market when ninety five percent of the people we know that's. That's their money, right? That's their investment. People don't all have $20 million to build a high-rise. Most people have $200,000 to start a business up to a couple of million dollars if they've got a couple of partners. And that is most of the market in our in our small business world, right? It's so, majority of the market. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so why there isn't builders in that market, I'm not sure. Maybe they grow too fast. Maybe it's too hard to grow to that level that you're catering at a, at a great standard constantly. But it's a great niche we're in. I love being in that niche. It means I can go to sleep at night knowing um, our risk profile, knowing how to please clients, knowing that there is no – it's not shark-infested waters. Yep. And why not live in a place see, that I'm – I think that there are, there, are all, there are obviously a lot of builders in the market. Mm. What I think's happened with the industry is that building and builders haven't looked at themselves as business people. Mm. for a long time. So building was just – it was a trade. I, I build. It wasn't the, – the, the the builders weren't looking, saying, I'm a business owner. I'm going to run this like a business. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to take this from almost blue collar to white collar in the sense – small company to big company in the sense of thinking. Mm. You know, it wasn't – like so many builders – I've got cousins and best friends who have successful – they're successful builders. They, they build a lot of great things. Like don't have a website – don't have a, anything. They, they don't care. They don't, they're not looking at it like a business. Mm. Whereas um, someone like yourself or, or my brother-in-law who owns a company called Taste Living, yeah. you, you've created trusted brands in a space where the others aren't doing that. So you've done it yeah. differently and that's where I think the, the, the big opportunity has come. That's yeah. probably why you grew so fast. So I was going to ask you how did you grow that fast? Yeah, good, good question and it's funny that you mentioned that because I've actually never thought of it that way. I, I always thought – social media and it's and it's all our marketing and no other builders do social media marketing i never actually thought no not many people in in our sector are treating it like a business um, most of them and most of our clients will say like yeah the other builders are you know a small group of guys and they get on the tools and they're carpenters and and i say well i'm not that this is what we're going to offer and so you're right um to answer your question how we grew so fast i also want to touch yeah. on what you just said in regards to social media so you you're saying that you're a building company that's very active on social media and that's working for you? It, it's been like a game changer for us from day one. I was a huge believer of marketing. I always knew that the builders or the building industry does not dabble in it nearly as much as they can and the opportunities are great. And so people called me crazy where one of my first hires was a marketing coordinator, like a sole focused person on marketing. Um, she paid herself in the first month. Like we won some huge projects within the first month of having her on board and 50% of our work, I say 50%, um, marketing team says it's less, but 50% of our work originated from social media. The other 50% was word of mouth. So maybe now it's 30% because the word of mouth has grown so fast but our, a huge uh, amount of our turnover and a huge amount of our growth came solely through social media. And you just don't – like. Builders, building companies aren't the type of companies you expect to be on social media. So that's that's yeah. what's cool about it. And the even cooler thing is 
building is beautiful. Like building can sometimes be seen as art. You know, people follow uh, chefs that do great desserts and, you know, they're insta-famous. Our, some of our commercial fit-outs and some of our projects are exquisite and people love that and people and people are attracted to it. And, you know, when they see a builder doing it time and time again and they're, not, they're, they're consistent and they're reliable, that I think builds some trust as well. Yeah, and you've got a product you yeah. can literally show. It's actually perfect for social media yeah. if you think about it. And you can even show the progress. Like this is what it looked like before. This is what it looked like when we knocked it all out. Look at it now. Yeah. You know, it's kind of cool to be like, wow, these people built something. And people are very interested through that journey as well. See, when I used to walk clients through at the end of a job, they say, oh, great, like it looks good, but you could have just cleaned it that way. But where I got the real excitement was walking clients through projects as they were being built. Because people got to be a part of that journey and then to meet the foreman who's telling them what they're doing that day and to meet the project manager and the client who's pleased, that's really fun because not people, not many people get to enjoy the experience of construction. And I say this a lot and I don't know if people believe it, but I believe buildings like art, like it's, it's, you're creating an artwork for the first time every time. There's no two projects identical and we treat it like art and, and we love it like art. And maybe that's the energy we're giving off to clients because they appreciate it like art. And, you, I mean, I was reading a book the other day, I can't remember what it's called, but it, what it sounds like you've done so well, because I was going to ask you, how did you get so many clients in your first year or two years? And and I'll let you answer, but from this is what I'm seeing. You are doing things differently to your industry. Right? You, that, that's what you're doing. You're almost doing that in every sector from the customer service to this, to the marketing, you're doing it even to probably to the philosophy around as it being as a company and the philosophy around how we want to treat, like how we want to deliver our job. Everything you're doing is different to the market. And I was reading this book on strategy and it's a bit of a silly story, but you know, the, the, the story of David and Goliath, mm. you know, and um, there were two, I can't remember the armies, but these two armies met at this, at this basically at this valley mm-hmm. down uh, on top of the hills and this valley in the middle that, and neither army wanted to run down because then they were going to die running back up. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be KO'd. So one army said, that's it. We're going to send down our biggest man, our, our, our greatest warrior, this behemoth of a human being mm-hmm. um, covered in armor and, and with a, a spear and sword. And, and we're going to call out one of theirs and it'll be a one-on-one battle is how we'll decide this. So one army sends down, Goliath, this, like I said, ginormous man with all his, he's got bronze plated uh, armor and he walks down the hill and he's, he's ready to fight. Mm. And the other army's sitting there like, shit, I don't want to go, no one wants to fight <laughs> this dude, what's going on? But then there's this shepherd's boy. He's a boy, he's probably a teenager. And, you know, he says to the, to the general, he goes, I'll, I'll, I'll go down there. And general goes, but well, he, you can't, you're a boy. This is, this is not just a man, he's a superman. Mm. And he goes, no, 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 I can, I can do it. And the general goes, put armor on the boy. The boy goes, no, 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 I don't want armor. And general goes, what do you, what do you mean you don't want armor? The boy goes, no, I'm not, I don't want armor. So the boy walks down the hill to go fight Goliath. And the boy has, he's, he's a shepherd's boy. So he's used to fending off wolves and, and lions and, and things like that. And mm-hmm. he does it by, by launching rocks at them and, 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 and things like that. So he goes down with his stick. It's got like a little sack in it and he's got some, some pebbles, which he just picks up off the floor. Mm-hmm. And he walks down the hill to go meet Goliath and Goliath screams, come fight me face to face. And the boy walks, walks and the boy goes, no, the boy stands away. The boy grabs his little um, slingshot. His slingshot, basically, <laughs> basically, and he slings his stone, and it goes, and it hits Goliath in the only part of his whole armor, really, that he was that that was free, right in his temple. Mm-hmm. It's just just under his helmet, in mm. his forehead, and Goliath loses his vision and and basically passes out. He's almost dead. I can't remember if he died. Mm. What the story is, but basically, he's hit. Mm. Basically, the the strategy part of the story is that. And if you fight the same rules as someone else, the bigger person will pretty much always win or the bigger company or the bigger thing. But if you use a different strategy, you're different. They're not expecting you to fight that way. Then you can win even as the smaller. It's these unexpected ways that help you win. And that's like the famous story of the David Glass, but it's used in a lot of strategy books. A lot I read a lot of strategy books, but a lot of it is – especially when you're smaller, mm. like fighting diff- fighting differently, unexpectedly, mm. is how you can win. And that's what I see you did. Yeah. 
You're you're the, you're the shepherd's boy with your slingshot. Yeah, I've never seen it that way, and what a like, really good example. And I can see how clients have been attracted to that, or, or people have been attracted to that. Whether it's sorry, not even clients, it's all stakeholders. Staff are attracted to it, employees are attracted to it, subbies and suppliers. Everyone that we're involved in has appreciated it and been attracted to it. And I think that's because we are trying to be different. We're not trying to fight the same old fight that everyone's always fought. What a great example. And it also, He's done it his it, way. It also, it also shows that even your view per job is different. A typical builder will look per job, how can I get as much money from this one job as possible mm. if I have to add a variation here or squeeze mm. $1,000 here? Mm. It's a per job basis, whereas you're saying I'm looking long term. Mm. I want the client to be happy to refer me the next client and the next client and the next client. And a lot of people don't have the courage or the patience to actually look long term. Mm. They want the short win. I was fortunate, again, to um, be able to experience that as a success measure at the start of Sheaf. Um, Don't know if that would have changed the way I am today. I always wanted to play a long term game. And I had a safety net there, which I'll touch on the five-year goal. But um, we we started with a job and it was $10,000. And we always said we're not going to be those proud builders that are just too good for small jobs. So, yeah, we probably lose money on it, but who cares? It's a $10,000 job. I might lose $1,000. I might not. Um, that $10,000 job got us uh, an upgrade of an office fit-out, which got us an upgrade of a building, which ended up allowing us to build for that same client um, a restaurant he's always dreamt of building. And it's in Sydney. It's uh, – Kuro, um, and that was a platform Where is it? to Kuro? everything. Kuro, K-U-R-O, yep. uh, Kent Street, 364 Kent Street. Amazing. Um, stunning, stunning. Um, and that was a huge platform for every other project after that. I don't think there was a client that walked onto that job that didn't want to do business with Sheath. And that's been an ongoing success story. We, we did a tiny little barber stop, uh, shop, $40,000. We wanted to impress the client. We wanted to play a long-term game. And not 12 months later, we're building our biggest job in Melbourne, which is a huge childcare and gym facility for the same client. Um, And that's the long-term strategy. Yeah, it is. And no ego. No, if it's a small job, you're going to treat it differently or it's a small job, you're going to put a crap team on it. You treat every job with the respect it deserves because it's not your money, it's the client's money. You don't know how long or hard they've had to work for it and it's not for you to judge. Mm. You treat it with the respect it deserves and the money comes your way. You sound like you have also a lot of – like a lot of structure to how you run your company. I mean, your, your values are clear, your five-year plan is clear. Mm. And I know that uh, you mentioned that you are part of, you've got a coach or, or yep. what did you say? I mean, I'm not a fan of coaches. I've never had a coach. So I'd love to hear your opinion on the coaches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so That doesn't um, mean yeah. there's not good coaches. I'm yeah. sure there are because I know a lot of people that use them. Yeah. I just haven't found one. Yeah, look, and and I can, I can understand why. Um, for me – I didn't choose my coach because he was marketing himself as a business coach. I chose my coach because I shared the same values. Um, so Mark Denoyer is my coach. He is um, uh, runs EOS in Sydney um, and that is a business coach uh, company. Business oh, EOS company. is fantastic. I know EOS. Yeah. Well, actually, funny story. Yeah. Mark Denoyer, who's obviously been a member now for a while, I, can't, I don't mm-hmm. know how long, but Mark Denoyer's brother-in-law mm-hmm. who owns EOS – I think it's Australasia yeah, or whatever right. he owns. He was one of the very first members that ever joined Cub named Daniel right. Davis. Yeah. And he was a member for three years, which I'm surprised he even stayed that long back then because we did not have any services. <laughs> <laughs> he basically paid for three years and didn't use oh, it, but wow. just to support me. But but I even remember signing him up myself. Yeah, right. He was probably the fifth member to ever join. I Such even remember his story mm. working in like um, – what he was telling me, like working in, uh, he had like a little shopping mart or whatever it was, or IGA or something That's of right. the sort, and petrol station, and I think, it was. whatever yeah. it was. But, but um, anyway, the mm. random. But the, the, that's funny. Yeah, so, so I know Denoyer, EOS yeah. and Mark Denoy very well. So Mark Denoy's backstory for me was he was actually my uh, director at Next. He was a part owner at the company Next Constructions, and he's the first person to ever interview me as a cadet. Um, and you know, I looked up to him like this guy was Superman at business, and he was. Like this guy turned a company, a building company from six people or five people at the time to 80 people in five years with obviously his partner Joseph and I got to see his way of business and I appreciated his way of business and I wanted to do business in a very similar way. And so when I left and Mark Denoy actually left next a year or two later, 
Um, Mark reached out. We both started chatting and he was helping me or coaching me just mentally in the background whilst he was trying to figure out what he wanted to do in his life. And I think he used me as a bit of an escape to be able to help someone whilst he was not helping anyone uh, for that interim of, of leaving the company. And and then soon after he said, you really need a structure. And I said, I'm dying for a structure. Please help me build a structure. So we spent three months building the structure. Um, after that, he joined and became an EOS trainer and I followed him on that journey and I was his first customer. Okay, so different. I don't count EOS implementers as coaches because EOS is an incredible, the entrepreneur op, entrepreneur's operating system. Correct is an incredible um, system towards helping you manage your business in an easy way. It's a simple way to manage your business. Mm-hmm. I'm actually a fan of EOS. So if um, – I think we actually have a couple EOS people at Cub, but, uh, you know, including Mark. Mm. But I'm actually a big fan of EOS and a big fan of the book, which is called Traction, mm-hmm. which I always Great recommend. Book. Yeah, see, EOS – I didn't count that as a coach. I counted that as a as – a, uh, he, he's basically – as helping you implement a system to run your business in a very effective way that helps you continue growing, solving problems and keeps your team and leadership team accountable. Yeah. And so it's almost education in terms of how to run a medium-sized business because that's really what EOS is mostly for, EO, medium I'd say. Exactly. So it's this is how to run a medium-sized business. And for someone that is looking for guidance, like for example myself, mm. actual – Daniel mm. uh, uh, Davis gave me a lot of insight into EOS mm. and, and actually ran me through the system. And I took from it what a lot of lessons. I didn't implement the whole system, but I took from it this, this like we still run our own scorecard. Oh, cool. But we don't have, yeah. we, we're not operating EOS, but I have things that Daniel showed me five years ago, six years ago, whenever it mm-hmm. was, that we still do today. Yeah, cool. So I actually, I actually definitely promote EOS. I think every, I think it's a good idea for any business owner who's particularly newer to business, um, like they've founded the business themselves mm-hmm. and the business has gotten to a point where it's successful, I would recommend all of them going to uh, to, to at least look at EOS mm. because there's other systems out there, like you have the Rockefeller Habits thing and all that type of stuff, but I actually don't like those ones anywhere near as much um, uh, as EOS. Okay, so you use EOS and that's successful for you. It's been great. Um, Mark uh, implemented his version of EOS uh, originally at Sheath, which was an extended version, um, after which he then joined EOS and we've been on that journey doing our quarterlies and our yearlies with him. And he, he keeps, you know, it's funny because you get to an end of a quarter and you're exhausted and you don't know if it's right for you again and you get in that room with him and he the, the team leaves there re-energised and ready to take on the world. And recently I heard something from one of my employees and this is probably the most powerful thing for me to hear was uh, that person said, um, I'm not sure if you knew, but I was so exhausted that I was ready to give up. And it wasn't it wasn't until I had that day with Mark Denoya at EOS that I had a new sense of direction. Wow. And I thought, like, if even if I didn't feel that, if you felt that, that is worth every cent. So for me, like, uh, I'm, I'm an EOS member, I'm a Mark Denoya fan, and, um, and he's helped me in a huge amount, build the company I have today and that's based on strong values, yep. strong goals. Um, and and like I said earlier, it's almost like a cheat sheet for me because when I don't know how to make a decision, I just reflect on that. Like yep. does it share my values? Does it share my vision? If it's not, it's an easy decision. I almost don't have to make the decision. It's almost objective uh, because it, the, my values have made that decision for me or my vision. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but Mark Denoy actually has an episode in this podcast. I don't know what number it is, but to the listeners, if you want to hear Mark's story, just type Mark Denoy in the podcast and I'm sure it'll it'll come up, but he's, he's a wicked dude. Mm. Um, and uh, if you're a member and you're in Melbourne, uh, there are uh, there is a Melbourne member who's uh, with EOS as well. So you can reach out to um, to the team and they, they can connect you. You know, we, Cubs should probably do a formal partnership with EOS in some sense, but only if Daniel Davis signs back up to the club. <laughs> otherwise, otherwise I'm going to delete this whole part from the episode. <laughs> I'll have a chat nah, to I'm, him. I'm, I'm, no, he's supportive. He's a great man. He, 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 mm. He's a great man, but, but and he supported me for, for, for many years at the start. So, um, But we should do some sort of partnership with him. I think that would be mm. really cool. All right, man, shit, we spoke about a lot, but we ran out of time. Um, we got through a lot. We did. Yeah. We did. Um, and I guess why don't we finish with why don't we finish with something different? With you sharing your philosophy towards 
your business and how you look at it with the clients, what, what you're trying to do, what your purpose as a business is? Um, so I've, I've tried to work on that for many years and what I've ended up with is, is really just the same thing that I started with. I want to create an experience that is enjoyable and, and fulfilling so that the clients and the stakeholders and my employees all feel like they woke up today feeling like they've grown since yesterday or they, they, they have finished their day feeling like they've improved their life in some way, shape or form. And that's what we're out to do every day that I work. Every day if, if we're feeling like by the end of that day shit, like I went backwards today, that's not what we're about. So my vision and my hope and my purpose is to create a fulfilling experience so that everyone involved in the process, not just the client, um, is a better person by the end of that journey. That's a beautiful, that's a beautiful philosophy. That's my, that's, that's actually my personal philosophy about business in general, that yeah, it cool. benefit, it should benefit everybody around. It should move people forward. It's mm-hmm. a vehicle to move people in the direction they want to go to, whether that be client or whether that be um, team member. Mm. All right. Well, uh, to the listeners, if you want to find out more about Mr. Hussein Sheath, um, and Sheath itself, go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you'll find uh, Hussein's greatest lessons in business, book recommendations, the website, his LinkedIn, you can get in contact. It's awesome. Go there. Check out our website anyway because because really should. Actually, you know what I'm going to promote today too, which we never do and we should probably start? Cub has a great Instagram page as well, which is Club of United Business. We really should start promoting that on the podcast episodes. Laura's smiling at me right now. So we are going to do that from now on. <laughs> Go to the Club of, Club of United Business on Instagram. Find us there as well. Um, all right, Hussein, thanks for being here. Thank you very much. To the that listeners. Was really enjoyable. It was. It was awesome, yeah. mate. How fun is it? Yeah, it was Should good. come back. Yeah. To the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. <laughs>